This is Que Esperanzas, a new series from Book Public on Texas Public Radio. I'm Yvette Benavides. The expression Que Esperanzas is an ironic or pessimistic interjection meant to convey that there's little hope and the improbability of success. Book Public's Que Esperanza series focuses on short stories with protagonists who are women surviving catastrophic injustices in their everyday lives and facing them with a thin measure of hope. This week's story is Sabrina and Corina by Kali Fajardo Anstein. Sabrina and Corina are cousins. They grow up very close as children. They're like sisters, best friends. In their late teens and 20s, Things start to change, they begin to grow apart, and their life choices and opportunities lead them down divergent roads. We know from the very first part of the story that Sabrina is dead. She's been strangled. The violence of this tragedy is not new in the Cordoba family, as we learn. Karina mourns her cousin's death, but it seems she's been mourning a kind of loss for a very long time. Here's author Kali Fajardo Anstein. Sabrina and Corina. My grandmother called with the news. Though I wasn't entirely surprised, I had to ask her four times to repeat herself. Strangled, she said over the phone. That's how it happened. I was doing makeup at Macy's at the time, and after finishing my last face of the day, I drove to her house where my youngest cousins played tag in the yard. I made my way past them through the chain link gate, holding my purse above my head as they yelled my name and swirled around me, trying to get me to join their game. Inside, in the front room, my father was splayed out on the couch with the Rockies cap pulled over his eyes. One of my uncles leaned beside him, lightly clutching the remote. Another sat motionless on an old recliner, his eyes to his glowing cell phone. From the back bedroom came the howling cries of Sabrina's mother. The men flinched, but carried on, watching the muted television screen. No one acknowledged my arrival. I really love this relationship between Sabrina and Corina in the story. It's the title story of, of this collection. Um, you know, in Spanish, we have this term of prima hermanas, of... Um, cousins who are the children of sisters. So there's just like this extra element of closeness, right, that's sort of uh, inherent in that kind of a, of a relationship. So can you tell us a little bit about Sabrina and Karina and their relationship? So Sabrina is a a wayward soul in a lot of ways. Um, she's somebody who's really fallen into cycles of alcoholism, partying. She hasn't really found her path yet. And she's always sort of hoping that men will be able to guide her out of her despair. And on the other hand, we have Corina, who is quieter, more observant, more introverted. And she's always trying to do the right thing by her family. She's gone to cosmetology school. She's gotten a degree. She's working at Macy's. And in, in some ways, she's very judgmental of Sabrina. While they were growing up, they were best friends and cousins, and they were inseparable to the point where their memories were fused together in certain cases. But as they grew older, especially when they got into their early 20s, they were really pulled apart 
And I think a lot of it has to do with Karina's judgment of Sabrina's lifestyle. I grew up in a family of seven children. I have six sisters and um, there are two sets of twins in my family. So from the time I was a baby, I really saw a lot of the duality that can take place in these close feminine relationship between family members. And that's not often explored in literature. A lot of the literature we see explores romance and romantic bonds. And so I knew that I wanted to explore familial bonds, but also friendship and the bond of cousins. And those are such um, complicated relationships. I mean, even if they're loving and supportive and very positive, as you say, they can be very fraught. And there is a, a sort of a, this, as you say, Corina is judgmental. Sabrina is different. I mean, her eyes are blue. She's described as the family beauty, the doll. And she sort of stands out for that reason. But it, it does feel like she has this kind of um, aloneness in her to begin with, because as you say, she has this idea that she has to sort of use her wiles to have men help her along. And of course, it's it's pretty catastrophic for her. Whereas, as you say, Karina understands that she has to try to make her own way in the world. But this this shared memory that they have, this first memory of being stung by a bee that one says, no, it happened to me. No, it happened to me. I've heard sisters uh, sort of uh, try to track down and trace, like, who did it happen to? Like, very, very similar shared memories. I mean, in my own family with my sisters, there's this lore about certain things that I'll say, no, that happened to me. And my sister will say, no, that happened to me. It's such such an interesting thing that happens. But that's just how close they were. They're one year apart in age, but they're just—it just seems like they're very close. And then, in their twenties, they do start to drift apart, right? Yeah, and I wrote this story when I was, I believe, twenty-four, and I'm—I'm thirty-five I'm now. So, I was struggling with a lot of the same issues as Sabrina. Um, it's sort of interesting. A lot of readers will ask me, who are you most like? Are you most like Karina? Are you most like Sabrina? And I think when the, the book first came out, I used to say that I was like both. But now in hindsight, I think I really was closer to Sabrina. And the act of writing her story sort of served as a way to begin to heal myself from my own binge drinking, um, from my own fraught relationships, um, attaching myself to men who did not necessarily have my best interest in mind, and always looking for my happiness in someone else. Um, I knew many women growing up who unfortunately did not get out of those cycles. And I wanted to make sure that it did not happen to me, but I wanted to teach my readers at the same time. Um, So many young people have found this book and they've written me notes and they've told me terribly sad stories of cousins that they've lost to drug addiction and alcoholism and other forms of violence. And in some ways they're finding healing in the story of Sabrina. 
I can so see that. I mean, as a young girl growing up uh, on the border in Laredo, this was a little bit of a message that we we saw as every turn as young girls is that to to try to be appealing, to try to be um, uh, pretty. You know, we we would all like look at Seventeen magazine and just wish you know these impossible <laughs> standards of beauty that were out there. Um, and but there's something there too about uh, something that Carlos in the funeral home says to Corina, where he says, "These pretty girls, they get themselves into such ugly situations," and it's just like this sort of um, way that we sort of learn to, as as girls that pretty girls are the desirable ones. And, you know, it reminds me a little bit of the character of Marin in The House on Mango Street by Sandra Cisneros. It's like, they look, you know, Esperanza looks at Marin as if she's got it all. And, of course, as readers, we realize, well, she may be very pretty um, and it may seem like she has it all, but she's on a, a very real road to disaster, right? As uh, Karina says, like this idea of showing signs of dangerous and risky behavior very early on um, that she can see that Sabrina is is going through. And it leads to, as you have said before, um, and I've heard you in other interviews talk about the violence against women that comes from this kind of idea that we grow up with that um, we have to look a certain way and act a certain way just to be accepted, but it can it can lead to s- some pretty catastrophic situations for somebody who's young, and inexperienced, and isn't quite sure how to negotiate her her beauty or her attractiveness and even her vulnerability. Yeah, and I, you know, one of the most difficult things about writing Sabrina and Karina was the fact that I am dealing with this physical body that is so celebrated amongst the family. You know, I grew up in this big mixed multicultural Chicano family. And if anyone came out with light skin or light eyes, they were, you know, hailed as the biggest beauties of the family. And the reason why being beautiful was important is not simply because they're appealing to look at, but because it was taught to us that then they could find a wealthy husband, somebody who could take care of them, they could change their name, they could move into this house, and they could become part of another family and get away from their roots. So one of the most difficult things when I was writing Sabrina and Karina was realizing that her beauty, in a way, was her trap. And for most of the scenes, she's not even alive. I mean, we're Karina is looking at her body in the morgue. She's applying makeup to her corpse. And the family is asking to cover up physical signs of bruising from her death. And doing the research and working on that and having to face that, that was so difficult because we oftentimes, we don't even talk about aging. You know, women are not supposed to age after 40 years old. Like, you're supposed to not wear shorts, to cut your hair shorter, that kind of thing. Um, I don't believe any of that. <laughs> but, um, but to think about the fact that we're supposed to be invisible as we age, what does it mean for our dead bodies? Um, and someone like Sabrina, I wanted to make sure that her body was very visible and the signs of violence 
enacted upon her body by a man were also incredibly visible in this short story. Oh, I know when when Karina is looking at her body in the morgue and she's describing the bruising and the swollen chin and that kind of thing it's it's it, you're right it's it's really really uh so heartrending it, it's such a difficult section and you're right about this idea that for most of the story Sabrina is not alive i mean she's alive in the memories of Karina as she's recalling certain things but for the most part we are uh, in in Karina's mind, in, in sort of Karina's story and recollection, but Sabrina's not there. Um, that's that's such a true thing that I hadn't even realized until you said it. You know, and the other women in the story, like the tias and, and the abuela, the mothers, they're so interesting to me. You know, you talk about the idea of aging and the idea of how even sort of the men in the family they hold a particular place, um, you know, they're they're going to sit and watch television and the women will sit about like in the opening scene to make the food and and to serve the men. But there's this these extra layers of of insight and certain kinds of knowledge and information that girls carry with them through life coming from these older women. And we certainly can see that Karina is responding to, I mean, I guess they're like cautionary tales, like, thank you so much for including the story about the hoofed man at the dance, (laughs) at the midnight dance, because (laughs) that's a story that I grew up with in Laredo, Texas, right? I grew up with that same story, that same cautionary tale. For me, the story, they were at a dance at the Casablanca Ballroom in Laredo, (laughs) But, you know, it's it's this idea of the things that they tell us um, as little girls that are cautionary tales. And there's there's so, you know, uh, there's such metaphors for life um, and for that recollection to come at this juncture in the story. I felt like like, yeah, like that. That was such a pointed example of how things can go disastrously wrong because Sabrina keeps putting herself or keeps ending up in these very dangerous situations. Um, but I had, yes, I had not uh, seen that before in a short story. And, and I love that it's documented here. There are these big issues at work here, violence against women. Um, and Sabrina as a character is somebody who's, who sh- is showing us how these twists and turns in life can take hold. And they're part of much bigger forces that are at work in society that it almost seems like no one can really control. No one can can rise above. I mean, I really even see Corina, in spite of all her best efforts, just suffering through as a witness to these things and, and working so hard to make a life for herself even. Uh, that's another thing that I come away with about Karina here in this story. Yeah. You know, there is one point where their grandmother uh, tells Sabrina that the world will try to take the loveliest part of you and they'll try to own it. They'll always try to anything they can to own that piece of you. And I always thought that was sort of interesting because there are a lot of sprinkles of wisdom that came from my own elders 
in particular, my Auntie Lucy, who was my great grandmother's sister. Um, she didn't grow up literate. She wasn't able to go to school past eight years old. She worked in the field. She picked sugar beets. Um, and she lost several of her children before they reached adulthood. But she had such an incredible, wise way of sort of framing all of this that we will survive, we will carry on. And I think a lot of that is the undercurrent of Sabrina and Karina. Um, and I know that Sabrina's life has ended abruptly and Karina at one point goes through a list. These are all of the family members that we have lost. And these are all of the ways that these women have been murdered or have taken their own lives and have fallen victim to other circumstances. And I know in some points of this short story, it seems like we can't control anything. Everything is so bleak. But one of the ways that we can control these narratives is to talk about them, is to tell stories, is to write literature about them. I don't know how many people this short story has helped or touched, but maybe it's gotten families to open up and talk about the cycles of violence within their own communities. I know that it has done that for my own family. I, I have younger siblings and, you know, some, every once in a while, someone will say, oh, you're acting like Sabrina. <laughs> like, don't, you know, don't be so stuck up. You're acting like a Karina. And, you know, it's become part of our family um, narrative yeah. a little bit. And I do think talking about it, naming it, giving light to these very dark spots in family units, that's one of the ways that we can get out of these cycles. I, I never want to perpetuate a cycle of violence and trauma against women. I'm trying to free us just a little bit more so the next generation doesn't have to go through this as much. Kali, thank you so much for talking to me today about Sabrina and Karina. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Yvette. This has been a wonderful conversation. Kali fajardo Anstein is the author of Sabrina and Corina, the title story in her collection, which was a National Book Award finalist. This has been Que Esperanzas, a series focusing on short stories with protagonists who are women surviving catastrophic injustices in their everyday lives on Book Public from Texas Public Radio. Write to us at bookpublic at tpr.org. Jacob Rosati composed our theme music. Dan Katz is Texas Public Radio's news director. We had help from David Martin Davies. I'm Yvette Benavides.